Today, we will be speaking with Scott Cedarberg. Cedarberg received his PhD from the University of Iowa, and he is in his 12th year of teaching at the University of Arizona as an associate professor. I hope you enjoy the talk. What are the basics of retirement accounts that everyone should be aware of? Yeah, so if we're thinking about the, the tax-advantaged retirement savings accounts, which is uh, typically what people think about when they're thinking about retirement accounts, that's like IRAs, 401ks, depending on who your employer is, there, there's access to different things. So one of the main uh, things to think about when you're looking at these retirement accounts is there's something called traditional accounts and then something called Roth accounts. And it's really the, the taxation differences uh, are what distinguish traditional from Roth uh, accounts. So for a traditional account, you would actually like get a tax deduction now uh, when you contribute to one of these. So you pay less tax in the current year uh, versus a Roth account you're gonna put in after tax dollars. Um, but then the, the difference comes when you co come into retirement and you're actually taking money out of these accounts. If you take any dollars out of the traditional account, now you're taxed on the back end. Whereas with the Roth account, you already paid your taxes and you're just done with, with taxes. So if we're, if we're thinking about like the, the, the post-tax Roth contributions versus the pre-tax traditional contributions, now we need to decide which of these two accounts uh, we're going to use. And it would turn out if we had the exact same tax rate today as we have in retirement, then these two options end up being completely identical to each other. And it doesn't matter which one you would do. So then it really just depends on what's my current tax rate versus what do I think my tax rate potentially is going to be uh, in retirement if I'm like taking money out of a traditional account and being taxed on, on the dollars at that, at that point. So if, if we're thinking about picking between these two, especially if, if you're young and maybe like just starting out on your, your first job and entry level salary, your salary might be low enough that you're in a relatively low tax bracket. And so with a Roth account, any money that you're putting in, you're paying the taxes now, but you've now locked in that tax rate and you'll never have to pay money again on, on those savings. So those are really valuable, say if you're just in like the 15% the tax bracket, marginal tax bracket or something like that, I would definitely be locking in something like, you know, a, a very low rate if you have that now. And then as you're making more money and getting into the higher tax brackets, uh, so my paper with, with David Brown and Mike O'Doherty, uh, we, we look at like the optimal allocation to, to Roth versus traditional. And we come up with this rule of thumb that's basically you take your age and add 20 to your age and then try and have that much in traditional and then the remainder in Roth. So if you're early on, you know, say you're, you're 25 years old and starting to save, we would say you should be about 50-50. So, so like 45% traditional, 55% uh, Roth. And then as you go further into your career, then you can do more traditional. Uh, you know, it, it removes, you know, what we would call like the tax rate uncertainty about where the overall tax structure is gonna be. You know, it could be when we all retire, tax rates are, are at 20% or it could be that it's at 60%. So right now, as you're thinking about your retirement horizon, that's a long ways away. There's an awful lot of uncertainty about where tax rates are going to end up. And you can kind of get some money into Roth and, and take out this risk that you're not really being compensated for. 
So just to be clear, a retirement plan is not something that you should set fix, let's say now at the age of 25, at the age of 30. It's something that you have to change as you grow older and older, correct? Yeah. So, so as always, it, it, you know, I'm, I guess when I started saving, I was a long ways away from my retirement. And so I was maxing out one of our Roth retirement plans, uh, along with another traditional thing that the, that the university provides us. So I was doing a mix of that. And as I get closer to retirement, I'm going to increase the amount that I'm putting into traditional and I'll decrease the amount that I put into Roth uh, just as I'm getting closer to that retirement date. You're making it sound like people should begin to plan for retirement at a very young age. But at what age are people actually planning for retirement and creating these retirement accounts? So I think there's two parts of that. Uh, so so one is that there there is the potential that your first employer basically has some retirement plan that you're almost going to be you know opted into uh, regardless. But I think it's it's realistically it's probably the case that many people don't make enough money in their you know early to mid twenties to to be saving a ton. Uh, for retirement. And so I think people kind of recognize that it takes a little bit of time to get ramped up. Like that being said, the earlier you start saving, the better off you're going to be. There's more years for compounding. And if the market crashes at some point, uh, then you're, you're just better off having a longer time horizon if you, if you can. Can you explain the concept of compounding? Yeah. So, so compounding is just the basic idea of, you know, each year you're going to earn a particular return with your investments, but you're earning it on the total balance of, of your portfolio. So if you're earning some good returns early on, now you start earning returns on those on that money that you made because you had some good returns. And so if, if you get, say, you know, an 8% return per year, it, it takes with an 8% return per year, it takes about nine years for your money to double. Uh, versus like 100% divided by eight is like 12 and a half. So you, you get there quicker because you start earning the interest on the interest, essentially. What are the biggest mistakes that you find people are making in the retirement accounts? I think overall in the United States uh, and a lot of places around the world, there's a, a big retirement savings shortfall. And a lot of that I think is is just the savings rates are not particularly high uh, given people's expectations of what they want to actually be able to spend in, in retirement. So if you want a nice retirement, like the social security part of it, isn't going to provide you with a, you know, a, a really lavish lifestyle. And so if you want a, a good retirement uh, savings base, once you, once you hit that point, you do have to save a, a fair amount of money. And I think one of the potential issues is that people tend to take uh, some of the features of retirement accounts almost as, as advice on like how much they should be saving. So I think like the IRA, the, the total limit for an IRA or something is like $6,000 per year. And people kind of take that as advice of like, oh, that must be enough savings for me to, to put together a nice retirement nest egg. And realistically, $6,000 per year is not going to, to really get it done. 
or people with their employer, if they get like a 3% match on a 401k, they tend to think like, okay, 6%, you know, my 3% contribution plus the employer's 3% contribution may be enough. And, you know, again, it kind of depends on what lifestyle you want in retirement, but, you know, adding additional savings on top of that is going to give you a much better chance of, you know, ha having a, a retirement that's, you know, not only like keeping you alive, but like lets you have a little bit of fun every once in a while. And a lot of people are investing in the stock market for the long term so that they have this money when they grow older and then retire. So how does the stock market and the returns from the stock market compare to the returns of retirement accounts? So the retirement accounts in, in a lot of ways, you, you, you can kind of think of those as like a vehicle, like, like there's this retirement account that you have, and then you separately need to think about what assets to put in to invest in within that retirement account. Uh, so a, a fairly recent trend, uh, but it's becoming more and more popular is that people are defaulted in their retirement account into what's called a target date fund. And a target date fund, you can, you know, if you, if you look these up, say there's like Vanguard target date funds and they all have a year on them. So there's like a 2045 and a 2050 and a 2055. And the idea is you pick the, the date, the year that you're planning on retiring and you just put your money in there. And they're going to invest you mostly in stocks when you're young. And then that will gradually decline and they'll invest more in bonds as you go. And so this has become popular. These things are, you know, they, they have some kind of special government status as like, if you pick these things as the default option as an employer, then you're, you know, you've sort of done your job with respect to the, the retirement plan. You could opt out of that type of thing and invest stuff yourself and you can do 100% stocks or, or, you know, 100% cash. I don't advise being 100% cash. That's going to be a bad idea. Uh, but but you can you do typically have some discretion on where your money goes. What is the difference between choosing what is being invested in your retirement account and just choosing what is being invested in your regular retail portfolio? Yeah, so your your regular retail portfolio, if you just go out and start, you know, a TD Ameritrade account or something like this. Uh, you have a brokerage account and you can buy any sort of asset uh, in that. The typical way that a retirement plan is going to be set up is that you're, you're more likely to have access to mutual funds uh, rather than like individual stocks and things like that. Uh, those That set of mutual funds that you have access to is put together by your employer. Uh, if, if you're doing like a 401k, uh, 403b, one of these things. With the IRAs, it's a little bit different where you could set up a brokerage account with one of these retail places and then designate that it is an IRA. Uh, so, so then you would be getting tax benefits on that. There's, there's different things that make people either eligible to have an IRA or not eligible to have an IRA. So it's, you definitely have to look into like what you qualify for uh, and all this sort of stuff. But if, like, once you have an employer and you have a 401k, they're basically going to give you a list of funds and say, you can allocate your money across these things. Uh, and then, you know, the, the standard advice there is, you know, throw 
either the target date fund that kind of automatically puts you in some stocks and some bonds and manages this for you, or try to pick some pretty low fee, you know, very diversified uh, mutual funds to, you know, like a Vanguard total stock market index fund is usually really cheap and it just gets you access to all the stocks. And, you know, if you're holding that in a retirement account, now you're doing like tax advantage savings in a low fee, uh, you know, mutual fund and you're highly, highly diversified. So that's kind of the best of all the worlds. How has retirement saving changed? Have strategies changed over time? And how do you think people are going to invest for the, for the retirement in the future? Yeah. So a lot of it's, you know, there, there have been specific like legislative changes that have changed who has access to, to what, uh, options. And one of the biggest things that has changed is it used to be that there were, you know, I mentioned the Roth and traditional accounts. And it used to be that the only thing that you could do a Roth on was an IRA. And you couldn't do it if you had income above, you know, somewhere around $150,000 per year. So there were a lot of people who did not have access to this. And then it's a pretty small maximum amount that you can invest per year. But one of the big changes that was made about maybe 15 years ago or so is that the government opened up the Roth option for 401ks and 403bs and these like employer-sponsored uh, retirement plans. So that's been one of the, the, the really big changes is that now many, many, many more people have access to Roth options and at much larger dollar amounts. So that's been one set of changes. And then the, the other is just sort of, you know, I guess there's probably savings rates vary kind of by generation and uh, certainly by individual. So I think there there is a trend for, you know, a lot of the millennials and uh, what it, whatever the next generation is called after millennials. Uh, there, there, there are a lot that are trying to save a lot of money early and give themselves the possibility of an early retirement or more flexibility uh, as they get later into their working careers. And so, you know, you achieve that with really high savings rates that maybe the generations before didn't really do. So, so the boomers, for example, a lot of them got to retirement and had virtually nothing in, in retirement savings. Um, it's a pretty high percentage of people who just end up with almost no retirement savings and they just have to go off of Social Security for, for everything that they have in, in retirement. Um, so the more you can do to get yourself out of that situation, I think the better. What are the social security benefits that you get at retirement? Yeah, so so you and your employer are going to pay into social security your entire working life, and then it sort of de it depends on how much income you have, how much is getting paid in on on your behalf. Um, but the and then there's a formula that 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 comes out at the end. I think basically if if you make so. So social security is capped at about $150,000 of income per year right now. So if you make that level during your entire working career, then when you get to social security, they'll give you about $30,000 a year. So it, it's not gonna be something that really makes up a big part of your income. If you're at lower income levels during your working life, you're gonna be paying less in and then you'll get less than 30,000. So some people might get like $15,000 per year uh, out of social security. 
And if that's the only source of income that you have, or, you know, you have very limited income on top of that, it, it, it gets pretty tight pretty quick. Lastly, just summarize the most important key points that young investors should keep in mind when thinking about their retirement accounts. Yeah, so I think, you know, there, there are some things that apply to both young investors and, and older investors, but young investors, you know, if you can increase a, or just, just have some savings, start, start getting something in there. So it has a long time to be able to potentially uh, compound up and get some good returns. There's also a really big effect of the fees that you're paying, especially if you have a very long time that, that you're investing for. You know, I mentioned the compounding where your money's going to grow and you start earning interest on interest. Fees kind of take some of that away. So if I invest in a mutual fund, for example, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky to work at a large employer so I, I can invest in a Vanguard total stock market index fund. And I'm paying two basis points per year. So 0.02% per year to Vanguard. So that's $2 out of every $10,000 that I have in the fund. They'll charge me as an expense ratio. If, you know, there are some other funds that have like a 1% per year uh, expense ratio. So they're going to take $100 for every $10,000. But that even understates how big of an effect it ends up having. Because imagine that, that we earn between now and our retirement period, like 8% per year in the stock market. If you subtract off 1% off of that, now you're only earning 7% per year. And the compounding happens at whatever your after fee return is. And if you compound at 8% for 30 years versus compounding at only 7% for 30 years, you end up at massively different places. It's, it ends up being hundreds of thousands of dollars difference just by paying that little bit of extra fee. And empirically, when we look at, at the performance of mutual funds, it's just not the case that the, that the, the managers of these uh, higher fee funds are able to make that up. And so you just end up earning lower after fee returns uh, in the higher fee mutual funds. So just like minimizing fees, uh, trying to take advantage of these tax advantage accounts. We can kind of minimize fees, minimize taxes, be very diversified. Uh, you know, you, you can, you can certainly have your, your like play money in another account sitting somewhere and, you know, pick a couple stocks. Uh, but there's a, there's a, a professor at, at ASU, uh, Hank Bessenbinder has a paper that it, it's virtually all of the gains in the U S stock market over the last X number of years, you know, like 50 years, hundred years have been realized because of 5% of the companies that are traded. So if you buy the Vanguard total stock market index fund, you're guaranteed to, to own these stocks. But if you just have a random collection of 15 stocks, if none of them are, are in that, that little sliver of firms, you could end up just not making any, any money at all. You know, individual stocks are, are super, super volatile and, and it's just not uncommon for them to lose 50, 60, 70% of their value in a relatively short period of time. So just in your retirement account that, you know, when, when you're talking to your 65 year old future self, you're just like, well, I just bought all the stuff. I held onto it for a long time. And you'll, you'll probably, you know, be better off doing that than, than trying to take some gambles with your retirement.